Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Today we've got a crazy revenge story about getting somebody evicted. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, I ruined what would have been a good trip. I used to be in a friends group. There were four of us girls in total. I'll call them girl A, B, and C, and then there's me. We all met at a networking event for female riders in the area and decided to be friends. The event was organized by a rider who wanted a community of women riders in the area. I signed up for the event with the hope that I would not just meet and connect with other riders, but that I'd make new friends too. At the event, we discussed how hard it was to make friends and maintain friendships as adults. One of the speakers at the event suggested that we go around and introduce ourselves to at least five different people, exchange contacts, and talk about common interests aside from writing. I moved to one of the ladies and introduced myself. Another lady walked up to us and introduced herself to us, so we just made it a trio thing and talked about our love for traveling. After the exercise, the speaker who had made the suggestion asked us to introduce our new friend to everyone. I stood and introduced my two new friends. It was funny because the woman was amused that people found it difficult to make one friend and I'd already made two. I then told her that we bonded over our mutual interest in traveling. One lady in the group jumped up, said she loved to travel too, and asked if she could join our group. We happily agreed and that was the start of our group friendship. I'll call the lady that jumped up C. C was the last to join in the group, but she was the most vocal and the most annoying. At least she was to me. She always wanted to be in charge of everything. She wanted to decide where we met, whose house we hung out in, and where we visited. At the time we met, none of us could afford to travel out of the country to any of our dream countries, but we started to save towards it. I noticed C's domineering attitude very early on, but it became more pronounced when we wanted to decide on the first country to travel to. She insisted that we visit a country that she visited with her parents when she was a child. She then went on to tell us about how she had had many good memories in that country as a child and how she wanted to visit all the places she did with her dad. Her dad was in a vegetative state at the time. He died eventually. The problem was that her reason for wanting to visit that country was very selfish. She may have a sentimental connection to that country, but we did not. She kept talking about why we should visit that country, and went on and on about it until we all just agreed to. At first, she tried to convince us that it was a cool place, and that since she'd been there, she knew we'd love it. We did love the country, but we didn't want it to be the first country we visited. When she saw that she couldn't convince us, she started to guilt trip everyone, talking about her dad and all that. Only B stood up to her and insisted that we couldn't make our travel plans revolve around her childhood. She and B had an argument about it, but the rest of us were too cowardly to support B. That soon became a pattern for us. C would say or do something that showed how bossy she was, and B would stand up to her. I think C was mad that B always stood up to her and disliked her, but C is a very sneaky person. Rather than act out or show any kind of animosity towards B, she was even extra nice towards her. One day, C visited me, she lived the closest to me, and while we talked about random stuff, she mentioned that B said my boyfriend was abusive and that he'd hit me the month before. 
At the time, I was in fact in an abusive relationship with my ex, and I'd confided in B about it. I was closer to B than I was to the other ladies. We shared deeper secrets and all. I felt betrayed because I'd begged her to keep it a secret, and told her that I wasn't ready to tell the other ladies about it just yet. I wanted to deal with the matter privately before telling the others. I was very upset about her telling C, and I told this to C. C got mad, or pretended to, and asked why I wanted to keep what was going on a secret from her. I apologized and we talked about it, but I was still mad at B. I didn't confront B about it, but I sure resented her. We carried on with our friendship, but I stopped being close to B and I stopped telling her stuff too. Later on, I noticed that A had pulled away from B too. She started to antagonize her in conversations. The animosity was just too obvious. B didn't even have to do anything. She only had to breathe to get antagonized by A. Even though I had my issues with B, I didn't like how A kept antagonizing her. One day, I called A aside and asked her why she had suddenly became hostile to B. She said she was mad about something that C had told her about B. It then became clear to me that C had told both A and I something about B. She was clearly trying to isolate her from the group. I told A about this, but she didn't believe me. She was mad at B and insisted that C was right. I decided to confront B and ask whether she'd truly told C about my ex and the dynamics of our relationship. She admitted that she told her and told me the circumstances that surrounded the conversation they had. Apparently C had told B because the day my ex hit me and I called her, she ran to C and wanted the both of them to come to my house together. But I told B not to bother about coming since my neighbors broke in and rescued me anyway. C didn't tell me the reason B told her, she just told me that she did. I knew at that moment that she must have sensed that I wanted to keep what was happening a secret and then told me to upset me and make me mad at B. When I mentioned to B that was my reason for keeping the distance all along, she got mad and said she no longer wanted to be friends with any of us. B cut us all off and that was how she stopped being part of our group. I confronted C about what she did, but she turned it around and gaslighted me. Even A supported her and blamed B. I didn't blame A for being fooled by C, even I fell for her antics once, so I understood how A could have fallen for it too. What made me really mad at C was that I confronted her about deliberately trying to isolate B from the group. She didn't deny it. She just said she didn't like her, and that what she told A about B wasn't a complete lie. I was shocked that she admitted to lying about B to A to sabotage their friendship. Later that year, when we were to travel, we traveled to the city and lodged in a hotel close to the airport. We didn't want to have to deal with any of us three being late, so we decided to stay together and leave for the airport together. A is a meticulous person and would hate it if any of us showed up late to the airport, so we decided to assuage her fears of being late by staying together the night before. That night, I snuck to the bedside drawer, took her passport, wrapped it in a plastic bag I got from an underwear shop, and hid it under the bed I slept on. C was already known in our group for her tardiness and clumsiness, and A hated that. I knew that she either spent time looking for her passport in the room, took time and irritated A, or we'd get stuck at the airport when she'd noticed that her passport was missing. Either way, we were going to travel without her. She didn't notice her passport was missing until we got to the airport. She'd kept her passport in her purse, along with some other stuff. So on that morning, she... As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. 
But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. She just took her purse to the airport without making sure the passport was in it. When she was asked for her passport at the airport and couldn't find it, A and I helped her search her suitcase for her passport. A was irritated. She had predicted that C would delay us, and C had promised to disappoint her. As I planned, A got so irritated that she decided we were leaving without C. C took a taxi back to the airport to check her drawer for the passport. She was very confident that her passport was in the drawer I stole her passport from. Of course, she went to the hotel room, but didn't find her passport. We kept calling to ask if she'd seen it, but she said she hadn't. She started to cry, but A was not having it. A blamed her for being careless, and was mad about what she perceived as her carelessness. C called later to let us know that she was going back to her home. She suspected that the passport was there. At that time, our flight was being announced, so we boarded the plane and left. That was how I arranged for C to be excluded from the trip, which meant a lot to her. She wanted to visit the country to relive the moments she had with her father when she was a child, but she couldn't. Two weeks later, the hotel contacted her to tell her that they found her passport under the bed I slept in. She called me and said she knew I did it. I didn't deny it. I told her I also knew what she did to B and how she lied against her to make her leave the group. I just gotta say this sounds like the least dysfunctional friend group of the year. I mean, I get it, it's common enough in friend groups not to have good communication, but like all around, just like all this shady behind the scenes stuff and assumptions that are being acted upon, it's just no real surprise that there's some serious issues going on. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you guys enjoy crazy stories of revenge, it would be amazing if you left a like or left a review if you're listening to my podcast. That said, our next story is, I made my ex-wife quit her job and ghosted her. My wife and I met at an event in college, and I decided at the end of our one-hour conversation that I was going to marry her. She was smart, sweet, and beautiful. I just knew I wanted someone like that in my life. After our first date, I was sure, but of course, I didn't tell her. I didn't want to scare her away, but I just knew. It made sense that she knew what she wanted too, and our desires were similar. She didn't want children, and she wanted a supportive husband. I was the kind of guy who'd support his woman's career. I carried on the campaign for my ex-girlfriend's student government election on my back in high school. I wasn't even interested in student politics, but my ex was, and I gave her all the support she needed. I also didn't want kids. My mom had my three younger siblings when I was 13. I pretty much participated in parenting them. 
I also had little cousins who visited us all the time, and while I loved them all and enjoyed their presence, I always wanted them to leave at the end of the day. How I felt showed me that having kids of my own would be a bad decision, so I decided not to. Up until the moment I met my ex-wife, I had never met a woman I liked who didn't want kids. I'd meet many amazing women, but they would all say that they wanted children, and that would end our relationship. The last woman before my ex was an amazing girl in my class. She loved me and I was in love with her too, but she wanted kids and I didn't. She tried to make me stay, but I refused. I suspected that she thought she could change my mind, and I knew I was never going to change my mind. Anyway, back to my ex-wife. We both graduated from college, moved in together, and I proposed shortly after. It was a natural progression. We'd already been together for three years and lived together for a year. We got married and it was bliss. My wife was nearly perfect. We had a beautiful marriage and a great network of friends too. One day, the problem in our marriage started. The first real problem. My wife returned from work earlier than usual and told me that she'd met her old boyfriend and he was job seeking. She then told him that she'd put in a word for him at her firm. I was annoyed. I felt she should have told me before doing that. She thought I was overreacting and said I was just jealous. In fairness to her, I was jealous. She and her old boyfriend knew each other from high school and still maintained their friendship in their freshman year. They broke up after the first year because it became a lot harder to manage a long distance relationship. I told her that I didn't want her to help him find a spot in her firm, and she got mad. She was mad that I didn't trust her even after she made it clear that she was completely over him and he was engaged as well. For weeks, our communication was strained, but we talked about it again and everything was good again, but not for long. My ex-wife suddenly started staying back late at the office. She always called to say she was working late, but after a while she stopped calling to inform me altogether. I was tired of complaining and just stopped. My ex-wife was a very ambitious woman, and I didn't want her to think I was trying to impede her growth, but we were growing apart and I could feel it. Whenever I brought it up, she'd deny it, make me feel stupid and gaslight the crap out of me. I had to stop asking about it and focus on my career as I thought she was doing. One evening, I asked my ex-wife how work went, and she mentioned her ex and her eating lunch together. It was a slip. I could tell because as soon as she mentioned him, her expression changed to that of regret. But again, she switched it. I asked her if they'd been hanging out, and she said yes. It was a small organization. People were bound to run into each other in the cafeteria. We had another argument about it, and that night she slept on a couch in the living room. The next morning, I apologized and asked her to invite him to dinner so we could all get to know each other. She agreed and promised that I'd like him. She also added that she'd ask him to invite the woman he was engaged to. That weekend, we had dinner together. I met him and his fiance and immediately felt ashamed that I even thought he'd be interested in my wife. They had a beautiful relationship and he didn't seem to be interested in my wife at all. After we had dinner, I stopped asking my ex-wife about him. I even stopped thinking about it. Still, my relationship with my ex did not improve. She was aloof, came home late in the evenings, and was irritated most of the time. I was patient and waited for months for my ex to come back to her senses. Eventually, she did. I asked her about her changed behavior, and she apologized and things ran smoothly for two weeks. I found out after the first two weeks of our long conversation that my ex-wife had been sleeping with her ex all along. 
My cousin, who's also my friend, told me that he'd seen my wife and a man going into a motel on the outskirts of town. He said he'd seen them together some months back but held back from telling me because they could have been working together or something of the sort. When he saw them together again, he thought he'd at least tell me about it. I asked for a description of the man and he described my wife's ex. I then told him about all that had been going on in my marriage. He said that he suspected that she was having an affair with him, but he advised me to wait until I was sure before making any decision. He even offered to wait until they got out of the motel and for me to join him so we could catch them together, but I refused. I asked him for the motel address and thanked him. When my ex returned that evening, I confronted her about what I'd been told, and she burst into tears and begged for my forgiveness. I told her I could not forgive what I didn't know. She had to tell me everything. It turned out that she and the other guy had been having an affair for a month. They went to the motel together regularly, and he told her he was in love with her. Suddenly, he told her that he was starting to feel guilty about the affair and didn't want to hurt his fiancée. He told her that he told his fiancée and that she forgave him. Do you know what I found the most amusing? On that day, the day my cousin saw them together, he'd asked her to go with him to the motel to discuss the end of their relationship. I was disgusted at my ex-wife. I couldn't believe that the woman I loved so much wasn't just cheating, but was even being fooled by her ex. I just knew she wasn't telling the whole truth. He probably lied to her about them eloping together. The confidence with which she had the affair and how she treated me all through that period was an indication that she was sure we were never getting back together. She must have been confident that he'd leave his fiancé for her. I told my ex to give me time. I told her I loved her and wanted us to stay married, but I needed to be away for a period. She agreed and I moved out of our house to my cousin's. Every day in my cousin's house, she called me, asked how my day went and all that. It was like we were back in the time when everything was perfect, only that she was compensating for being a cheat and I was not over it at all. Every night I would go over my marriage to my ex-wife and how she made me look very stupid by inviting the man she was having an affair with to have dinner in my house. I would think about the times when I thought something serious was going on with work. I even felt guilty for not trusting her. I waited for months for her to come back to me when she was done with whatever work issue was on her mind. I knew I was going to get back at her, and I did. I called her and told her I was ready to come back home. She was excited, made many promises about never repeating what had happened, and I heard it all. I told her that the only condition for me to return home and for everything to return to normal was if she quit her job at the firm. I told her I wasn't comfortable with her working at the same job as the person she cheated on me with. She hesitated, and I told her to think about it. I knew my ex-wife. She loved her job. She started the firm with the founder, so she knew that if she continued to work there, she would be sure to climb the ladder very fast. The founder trusted her, and she'd invested so much time and effort in the firm. She tried to talk me out of it, but I made it clear that I'd made my decision. When she quit... I returned home to make sure that her decision was permanent. She wasn't happy at first because the founder of the firm was disappointed that she was leaving, especially since she didn't give him a cogent reason. After living together for two months, I left the house one day. I just ghosted her. 
I didn't take her calls and refused to speak to her when she came to my office to see me. So, did Opie actually go through with getting married here? Like, I mean, are they still married? I just want to know if there was a divorce. I mean, I get ghosting them after all that. But like, is there still a future chapter to be figured out at some point? Our next story is, new neighbor tried to steal my girlfriend, so I get him evicted. The day Mr. Wong moved out from the apartment next to mine, I, 27-year-old male, knew my life would never remain the same. That man has always been there for me through everything. He owned the convenience store below my apartment, and anytime he closed, he'd come upstairs to give me a fruit, a box of noodles, or even pizza. He treated me way better than anyone else in my life. He treated me like a son and looked out for me. We bonded over the fact that I lost my parents to an accident, and he lost his son in the army. The day he left, I helped him box up all his stuff and even shed a tear as the moving truck drove off into the distance. I knew things were going to change, but I didn't know how much. Three weeks after Mr. Wong left the apartment, a new guy moved in. Normally, I would have gone over to say hi and welcome him into the building, but I was still upset that Mr. Wong left. Somehow, my mind was making it the new guy's fault that he left, and I wasn't ready to make friends just yet. But the new guy, on the other hand, didn't mind my silence. A week after he moved in, I heard a knock on my door a few minutes after I got back from work. I opened it, and surprisingly, there he was, standing at my door with a wide smile on his face. He said hi and introduced himself as Ian, 29-year-old male. He said he was having an electrical problem in his apartment and he wanted to borrow a plier. Mr. Wong also had the same electrical problem. His lights were always flickering as though he was living in a haunted house. I asked Ian if that was the problem and he said yes. I told him that the previous tenant had also complained of the same thing and that they never found a solution to it. He told me not to worry because he knew exactly what was wrong with it, and so I borrowed him the plier, and less than an hour later, he returned the plier to me with the flickering lights fixed. I apologized for not coming over to say hi to him when he first moved in, but he waved it off. He invited me to his place for a beer, and seeing that I just got back from work and was looking to unwind, I accepted his offer and went with him to his place. We talked for over two hours and there I learned that he was an electrician and he moved from his college apartment because he was looking for better job opportunities. That night we talked a lot about a wide range of topics and I thought he was a really cool guy. I was definitely wrong for disliking him as soon as he moved into the apartment, or so I thought. The next week, my friends came over to my place. We were supposed to hang out at a bar, but one of them, Mike, had just gotten his heart broken by a girl we had all warned him about. So instead of going out to the bar, we all decided to hang out at my place and do some shots while telling him all the reasons why she's wrong for him. After a while, there was a knock on the door. It was Ian. He had just changed the lock on his door, and he wanted me to hold on to the spare key in case he lost his. When he saw my friends in the living room, he asked me what was going on, and I told him we were just hanging out. There was a moment of awkward silence where he just looked on without turning to leave, and so I decided to invite him over to join us. He accepted without hesitation. I had five friends in my friend group, two of which were girls. As Ian joined us, he wasted no time in flirting with one of the girls, Ruby. The only problem there was that my other friend Caleb had been hung up on Ruby for some time, and he was looking for the right time to ask her to be his girlfriend. But there Ian was, rizzing up Ruby and she was responding positively to his advances. I tried my best to clear up the awkwardness with jokes and game suggestions. By the end of the night, they all left. Ian tried to get Ruby's number, but I stopped him. I told him the situation, and he promised to back off. After that day, 
Ian always looked for any opportunity to hang out with us. I wasn't really comfortable with it because I considered him a neighbor and not really a friend, but I didn't want to be rude or anything, so anytime he asked, I said sure. One other reason I wasn't comfortable hanging out with Ian was the fact that he was a chronic womanizer. Anytime we were at the bar, Ian always hit on nothing less than four to five girls in a night. I didn't care if he had his fun away from the group, but he didn't know boundaries. There was one time that my other friend Alex brought a new girl with him during one of our hangouts. Even when Ian knew that they were in the beginning stages of their relationship, he was still flirting with her, and when she was about to leave, he tried to get her number. This behavior of his caused a rift between my friend group, and most of them decided that they didn't want him hanging out with them anymore. Eventually, I started leaving Ian out of our hangouts, and I thought that was the solution to our problem, but it wasn't. A few weeks later, my girlfriend Jules, 24-year-old female, returned from an internship trip she was doing overseas, and I decided to throw a homecoming party for her at my house. All my friends came over and we were having a really good time, and then, just like every other time, Ian knocked. I opened up and before I could say anything, he walked in, greeting everyone. I have to say he was pretty oblivious to the fact that none of my friends liked him, either that or he just didn't care. He said hi to everyone and helped himself to a drink. As soon as he saw Jules, he started hitting on her like every other girl he'd come across, but this time, it hit too close to home. I was so pissed, but being the diplomat I am, I walked up to him and told him to stay away from my girlfriend. He tried to play off the entire thing as a joke, and since Jules didn't know who he was and what he's done, she also thought it was a joke. By the end of the day, everyone went their separate ways, and since Jules was staying with me, she was the only one left. Over the next few days, I noticed something strange going on. Jules was on her phone more often, and not just that, she seemed to be enjoying the company of whoever she was texting. I mean, she was giggling and all. I'm not one to pry, but there was something suspicious going on, and I'd have been a fool to just let it slide. I asked her what was going on, and she said that Ian was making her laugh. Wait, what? I asked her how she got his number, and she said he gave it to her the day he came for her welcome home party. I was with him the entire day, trying to make sure that didn't happen, but somehow he managed to sneak the number to her. I told her to stop texting him because I didn't trust him. I told her everything he'd done over the months that she wasn't around, but she didn't believe me. She said he was harmless, and all they did was talk and make jokes. Jules was stubborn, and when she didn't want to do something, there was no way I could convince her to do it. But I trusted her, and so I told her that if he started to deviate from being a harmless friend to something more, she should let me know. Less than a week later, she walked up to me and said I was right. Ian had asked her out. When he did, she thought he was joking, so she played it off as such, but he asked her multiple times. He even went as far as saying that he'd ensure that I don't find out. This was the last straw. I'd tried my best to be as accommodating as possible with him, but it was obvious that all he wanted was all I had. He had no boundaries, and he'd do anything to get what he wanted, even if it meant betraying me, who had been nothing but good to him from the beginning. I decided that I wasn't going to let him get away with it. I told my friends what was happening, and they were only glad to help. He had wronged them too, and they wanted him to pay for it. We all brainstormed on ways to make him pay, but I finally settled on getting him evicted from the apartment. When we arrived at this conclusion, everything else fell into place. We knew exactly how we were going to get him evicted. We lived in a city where recreational marijuana was illegal and one could go to jail for it. If it was found in Ian's room, it would surely get him evicted. 
Caleb knew a guy who sold party drugs and he decided to get some marijuana from him. It took a few days to get that, but once we did, all we had to do was wait till Ian went out. He usually went to the gym on Tuesdays and Thursdays. When he left his apartment, I snuck into his apartment. I didn't even have to pick the lock because he'd given me a spare key some time ago. I took the bag of marijuana and stuffed it behind some herbs and spices in the overhead cabinet. It's a cabinet that he probably only opened when he wanted to cook, and judging from the amount of takeouts in his dustbin, I could tell that he rarely ever cooked. After stuffing the bag of weed in his cabinet, I waited for him to get back, and then I called the landlord, Mr. Wells, and told him that I suspected Ian of smoking weed. Mr. Wells, who was a conservative Christian, got to the building immediately with the building supervisor and demanded to search Ian's room. They explained that they had received complaints about him smoking weed in the apartment, which was against the rental agreement, and also a crime in the state. He was shocked at their accusation, as expected, and threatened to sue for harassment when they were done searching. I pretended to be a concerned neighbor and stayed at the threshold of his room, looking as they searched everywhere. Eventually, the supervisor checked the cabinets and found the bag of weed in them. To say Ian was shocked is a big understatement. I watched as his face morphed from surprise to shock to terror. He argued that it wasn't his, but there was no way to prove it. After all, it was found in his room. Ian was not just evicted, the police were also involved and he was arrested. In addition to being evicted, he was also forced to pay a fine of $1,000. He moved away, and we didn't hear from him anymore. But till today, he still has no idea where that weed came from. Revenge or not, can we all agree though, unless it's like a gargantuan amount? That it's ridiculous that somebody's going to be fined a thousand dollars or get a charge on their record forever for just having weed? Like surely we've advanced and have enough knowledge as people to understand. That's kind of loony that you could potentially ruin somebody's life like that, right? But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now if you want to hear another crazy revenge story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories.